Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. So I'm going to begin where we left off last week. If, if you've missed any of these messages, you can podcast them. You can go back and watch them on YouTube, on Vimeo, on our website. I encourage you to do that. And you may want to go back and just refresh your, your memory on some of these teachings. Also, we, we're on the Bible app, a U version. You can go there. You can click on the three dots that says more. You can scroll down to events and look for Life Fellowship. You can do that right now. And all the slides and all the scriptures are there. So you can look at that throughout the week. So take advantage of that. So this is what we covered last week. I'm just going to rip through it real quick. Galatians 5, 16 through 26 is what we'll be covering through today. And Paul is, is writing to the church in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And we talked about this uh, fairly extensively last week. Let allow yield to, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature desires. Of what the sin, let me read this again. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. So this is where I stopped last week. So my first point is be Spirit-led. Okay, so Paul is talking about when we walk in the Spirit, we'll not be fulfilling the things of the flesh or our sinful nature. My second point is refuse to allow your sinful nature to destroy your life. That's a strong statement, but it's a true statement. We know in John 10.10, 10, come on, you know the scripture. Jesus said the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you would have the abundant life. Listen, this is your life that, that we're talking about here. Don't allow your sinful nature to destroy your life because it can and it will. If you allow it to, we're talking about your life. We're talking about your marriage. We're talking about your children. We're talking about your grandchildren. This is a serious matter that we need to, to, to take in and realize that we need to refuse to be passive and complacent towards sin. Now listen, this is not a beat you up kind of message. This is a real life thing, a real life message that we need to get and understand. God loves us and God will bring conviction to our lives to help us change. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about how that when we compromise with sin, when we begin to embrace sin, our, our spirit man can be seared. We can become less sensitive to the Lord and what he's leading us to do. Kind of like when I talked about, uh, was it last week or the week before last, if we go through a field of tall grass, the first time we get through it, it's a challenge to get through there. And the more times we go back and forth, we develop a path. And so uh, sin does that in our mind. But what happens is when we begin to compromise our life, with sinful 
actions and lifestyles and things like that, our mind can become seared where we're no longer having the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But what can happen, and maybe, maybe some of us have experienced this before, as we have our mind seared, we get more comfortable in that lifestyle or whatever. But then what happens? The, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. But the enemy will be, begin to bring condemnation. Oh, you say you're a Christian. Oh, you say that. Have you ever experienced that where maybe it's a trap? It's a trap that the enemy will pull you in and then begin to beat you up and condemn you. And Jesus said, no, I came to give you abundant life. And so this is part of the, the problem with sin. Let's look at Galatians 5.19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So numerous times we find in the Bible where it's clear where God says, abstain from these things. Stay within these boundaries because I love you and it's good here. It's, it's safe here. But if you, if you get out, it can, it can be problematic for you. The Bible gives us very clear examples that reflect what the sinful nature is. It's not ambiguous. God is not trying to hide stuff. Have you ever been to uh, like the baseball game and they have... Uh, uh, something under a cup and they move them around and you have to figure out which cup is has the thing under it right God is not doing that he's making it very clear he's saying here these are are the things that you can look at and evaluate whether you're walking in these things and these examples are to help us not not to condemn us but to help us and what's interesting even given the specifics there are Christians that will attempt to justify. Well, you know, I know the Bible says this, but it's different for us. It's different for me because, no, it's not. It's not any different for you than it is for me or anybody else. But it's amazing how we will see Christians begin to justify and validate sinful actions and lifestyles. Now, the other thing I, want, I really want us to, to catch is that Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing these things to the church. So why is he writing these things to the church? Well, apparently, they needed to hear this. Apparently, there was these sinful actions and these things going on that the, the early church needed to hear. And 2,000 years later, we need to be hearing some of these same things. And so, listen, the scriptures, the principles and truths found in the Bible are for all of us. So a non-Christian can begin to take the Word of God and hopefully they, they begin to come into a relationship with the Lord that the faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. And so as we hear the Word of God, then it can draw us to this relationship with the Lord. And, and so, but, but Paul is writing to the church. So when we look at these things, let's not be thinking, oh, he's talking about to the people outside. He's talking to us. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. When? Remember, if, if, we, if the word says when, or if it says if, it's conditional, right? So we don't have to follow the desires of our sinful nature. But, he says, 
the results are very clear. What's the first thing he talks about? The f- very first thing he mentions is sexual immorality. Look at what's going on in the world today. You look in the scriptures, and the Bible talks about sexual immorality a lot. Why? Because we have a propensity for that. And this Greek word for sexual immor- uh, immorality is pornea. Guess where we get our word pornography from? Pornea. And, and so let me, let's look at what, what is sexual immorality? You may be saying, what, what is that? Well, here's a, a definition I came up with. Uh, sexual intercourse that is not sanctioned by God is sexual immorality. And sex is great within its boundaries. God created sex for our pleasure and for procreation. But sex is to be within marriage only. And we've talked to people that were living together and we've said, look, stop it. So if you know people that are living together and uh, exercising uh, sexual immorality, then if they're Christians especially, you need to tell them, stop it. Because you're outside of the bounds of what God created sex to be. Uh, and let me just say this. Marriage is between, should be between one biologically born male and one biologically born female. It's ridiculous that we have to say that, right? <clears throat> um, a couple of, a couple of uh, stories here. You know that we've been looking for a praise and worship leader, and we're a worship-driven church, and it's been amazing how difficult it is to find true worship leaders. And uh, I was interviewing a, a person a, a few years back, and uh, he came in, and he was very talented, and, and I liked him. And as we talked, he, he talked about, uh, you know, I said, well, where do you live? And he's like, well, my girlfriend and I, we live over here. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, we have a one-bedroom apartment. Oh. So you're living with your girlfriend in a one-bedroom apartment. Hmm. He's like, yeah, we, we sleep in the same bed, but we're not having sex. I'm like, yeah, right. Smoke another one, dude. No, you know, I'm not buying it. And here's, here's the thing. Even if they weren't, which I'm, I wasn't convinced that they weren't. I mean, he was a, a good-looking young man, and she was a good-looking woman. And, you know, okay, well, maybe you have a lot more self-control than most people. But the Word says to even avoid the appearance of evil. Okay, so say we hire this guy, and uh, one of the young adults comes to me, or one of the teenagers, you know, says, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to go off to college, and my girlfriend's going to the same college that I'm going to go to, and uh, we're thinking about getting an apartment together, because, you know, it's expensive, we have a lot of expenses, and if we can live together, we could save some money. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea, because the Word says you shouldn't do that. Well, well, the praise and worship leader is. He's living with his girlfriend. Um, there was another guy that came and, uh, uh, to audition, and I went outside to help him unload his car. And Hey, uh, hey can you, uh, do you need some help getting some of your equipment in? And he's like, yeah, I could use a hand. He's like, he's, oh, I'm sorry about my car. He said, I'm moving in with my girlfriend this weekend, so I've got a bunch of stuff in my car. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, 
And I was, I was gracious. I said, you won't be leading worship in this church. Not living that kind of lifestyle. In fact, you won't even be on the platform. You're, you're not allowed to even play <laughs> worship. And we, we've had people come to lead worship, and, and frankly, I'm not even sure that they're saved. And, and when I find that out, I'm like, okay. Because a lot of these guys, they play in bars and clubs, and that, you know, okay, they do that to make a living, but the church worship is not a gig. It shouldn't be a gig. It should be an expression of our heart. And, and you know, I love you guys worshiping. I love hearing you sing. Uh, we try to turn up the tracks a little bit so, it, so you're, you know, kind of covered there a little bit. But you guys, you guys are blending together. The thing is, you don't want to hear me singing, okay? But, uh, but I love hearing you guys worship. It's a matter of the heart. And so when I, when I considered these situations, even though we, we really needed a worship leader at that time, it was no temptation to hire them. None. Because we don't compromise. We don't compromise with those kinds of things. And, and so Paul goes on to write in Galatians 5.19, the first thing he talks about is sexual immorality. He talks then about impurity, lustful pleasures. And this could be connected to sexual immorality, but it, it could be different things. And I, I want to give this example of... Uh, <laughs> so, to uh, give my example here, let me get my iPad out of the way. I'll sit it over here, thanks. This is a beautiful vase, and uh, it looks great on the outside. And when, when God looks at us, and I'm not just talking about a pastor or a leader in the church. God is pouring through us. God is wanting to dispense to us so that we are dispensers to the world. And so imagine that this is God pouring into us. But we're, we're an unclean vessel. Would you want this poured into your life? Anybody want to drink this? This is food coloring. It's probably okay. But God is not looking for perfect people. But he is looking for people that are serious about being holy, righteous dispensers of his truth and his word. Again, none of us are perfect. And if you look at some of the people that God used in the Bible, they were far from perfect. But I think there is a, a level where God is saying, hey, I'm looking for people that are not perfect, but are serious about my relationship with them and want to be pure. And so he's looking for vessels that he can pour into that can deliver what the Lord wants in a pure way. And again, none of us are completely pure. But there should be a difference between our lives, what they once were and what they are now. And so when, when the Bible's talking about purity, I think that he's, you know, the Lord is talking about 
sexual purity, but also other areas. Do you have integrity in your life? And you can, you can come up with some examples of what purity is in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, whatever. But he says sexual immorality, abstain from sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And there are numerous places in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament where the Lord says uh, to abstain from sexual immorality, period. No if, ands, or buts about it. Um, I know this is a tough message. I know the last four weeks have been tough because they're pushing on our buttons. But God is bringing exposure to his body. And we want to get it right. We want to get our lives right because how can, how can God judge the world or, or bring you know, this, the power of God to the world when his church is corrupted are we pure vessels that he can pour through? And again, he's, we're not, he's not looking for anybody perfect. We're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our works. So it's not performance-based. It's grace-based. So maybe you've read in the Bible, you've, you've read about fornication and adultery. Let's just clarify what those things are. Fornication is sexual relations between two unmarried people. Adultery is sexual relations between someone that's married or maybe both parties that are married and that are having sexual relations outside of their marriage. Uh, I remember there was a couple that, that came to our church a long time ago, and uh, they thought that living together was okay as long as, as they were not having sex with someone else. They thought, well, you know, it's monogamous. It's, it's, you know, we're just having premarital sex between us and nobody else. And so we had to explain to them, no, that's, that's not what it means. And so the world can give you all kinds of definitions and, and reasons and justification. Well, I know, I know, I know that's what the Bible says, but it's different for us. <laughs> no, it's not. So let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.18. And, and it says, run from sexual sin. Okay, I want, I want you to come with me for a moment. So the word says that we are to abstain from sexual immorality, that we are to run from sin. And this is what a lot of us do sometimes, I think. We're kind of like, okay, there's sexual sin there. And we're like, yeah, well, I'll just kind of toy around with it. Maybe emotionally, maybe have an emotional affair, something like that, where you're getting emotionally attached to someone. Or we may touch it, or we may kind of walk around it. But this is what it means. When the word says run from sexual immorality, that's what it means, run. Don't toy with it. <laughs> I didn't know how that was going to work out. I was like, Lord, please don't let me fall down or something. 
So, so 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, I was thinking about this too. I was thinking about how, you know, you've heard the term, and I don't mean to be graphic here, but, oh, I got a piece last night. Well, what that means is when people have sexual intercourse outside of marriage, there is a piece that you take from that person, and that person takes from you. And when two people get married and consummate the marriage and have sexual relations, the Bible says the two become one. So think about this. Men, if you go and you go have sex with someone, you're taking a piece of that woman's life. And that woman has taken a piece of your life that was never intended to be. Now, how would you feel about the woman that you're going to marry having parts taken out of her and given to somebody else? How do you think your wife would feel about, well, you know, my husband left a few parts over here with these other women? Because the word says that we're to look at one another, not as sexual objects, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so God created sex for marriage. So if you know people, again, who, who's Paul writing to? Is he writing to the world, the people that are lost? No, he's writing to the church. And there's a good chance that you know people that are Christian, that are living together. And maybe the Lord will open up an opportunity for you to have a conversation with them. Why? Because they're doing something to harm themselves, to harm their relationship. Not only that relationship, but future relationships as well. So, Paul says to uh, avoid sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. But there's more. (laughs) He says in Galatians 5.20, idolatry and sorcery. Avoid those things. Um, In a minute, we're going to go to 1 Samuel. And uh, 1 Samuel, the prophet of God, goes to talk to Saul, the king of Israel. And uh, he says, I want you to go to the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out, people, animals, and everything, because I'm going to uh, uh, make right what was done wrong. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites were unkind to, to God's people. And he said, okay, now's the time for me to, to, take, to handle this. And so he tells, this, uh, Samuel tells King Saul, go to the Amalekites and wipe them out. Animals, people, everything. So Saul goes, and uh, you can read this in 1 Samuel, and he disobeys, basically. Because he brings back the best of the sheep and the goats and all these other things. And Samuel's like, uh, what's going on here? God told you to wipe them out. And Samuel, like, like David and, and, and probably some of us might do, we try to justify, oh, well, you know, uh, 
We, we brought back the best animals so we could sacrifice them to the Lord. And then we find out that really Saul was under pressure, peer pressure, because the, the people in the army were like pressuring, oh, we need to bring these back. He was a weak leader. He was a disobedient leader. So we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Do we ever honor sacrifices more than our obedience? Well, I'm doing it. This is good for the Lord. And so it's okay if I'm disobedient because I'm doing a good thing. Samuel goes on to say, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And you've probably heard that term before, right? This is where it comes from. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So God is not looking for the sacrifice as much as he's looking for people that will obey, that will yield to him. And then he goes on to say, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. What? Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. What's happening here? Samuel is revealing Saul's heart to himself. And, you know, uh, Saul was in, well, Samuel and Saul were both in very influential positions, but God had appointed uh, Saul to be king over the people. He had a significant and a serious responsibility to obey the Lord so that he could lead the people correctly in the manner in which the Lord wanted him to lead. So Samuel goes on to say in, in 1 Samuel 15, 23, So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Let's go back to, to part A of verse 23 here in, in 1 Samuel 15. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Have you ever thought, you know, well, rebellion is not that bad. I'll, she's a little bit stubborn, but, you know, those are not godly characteristics. <laughs> rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Um... As a Christian, would you ever participate in a, a seance or go play with a Ouija board? I would hope not. Now, now we would say, oh, well, no, I would never do that. But are you stubborn? <laughs> are you stubborn towards God? Thinking, well, I can, I can rebel against God because His grace is abundant, you know, I rebelled this one time, two times, 358 times, you know, God's grace is there. Stubbornness is as sinful as worshiping idols. I would never worship an idol. Oh, no, I would never bow down to something. I'm not stubborn. I just want it my way. <laughs> Are we stubborn toward God and his direction in our lives? Okay, so my first point is be holy. I mean, be a, 
be Holy Spirit-led. Listen, in order to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives, because he's called us, he's gifted us, he's anointed us, that we are a body. Even, even Life Fellowship is a body. Not all of us are the same. Not all of us have the same giftings. We, we have the same spirit of God. But, but God has called us individually to reflect his love and his light. You have a sphere of influence that nobody in the entire world has. Think about that. How many people are in the world? Six billion people, something like that, a bunch, right? Think about, think about somebody you work with or somebody in your neighborhood or, you know, somebody in your life. Your relationship with that person is different than any other relationship in the world. So you have a sphere of influence. How are you using that sphere of influence? When people look at your life, are, there, are they saying, hey, there's a model. There's an example for me to follow. They say they're a Christian, and I believe it. <laughs> because they go out and live it. So my first point is be Holy Spirit-led. My second point is refuse to allow your sinful nature to destroy your life. Listen, this is a serious matter. This is a, the difference between life and death. It can be physical life, but it can also be spiritual life. My third point is allow the Lord to continue His transformation in your life. I was having a conversation last night with a person and we were talking about people wanting to come into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And I, I said, you know what? What I see, honestly, there are people that really don't want to go deeper with God. There are people that are surface, okay? Hey, I'm Christian. I, I say I'm a Christian. I'm good. There are people, well, I'll go one step up. I'm good. But I want to go all the way up. And that's a lifelong process that we talk about because God is working some stuff out of our lives. And so God is wanting us to, to walk in power, dominion, and victory. That when we pray for people, it, it has a, a life-changing impact. That we're hearing from the Holy Spirit. He's saying, don't take that job don't take that job. Lord, I need a job. That's a six-figure income. Don't take that one. I've got something better. Or when you get a report that says, well, you didn't get the job. I've shared the story with you many times. I went out and I began to thank God. And at that very hour, the site director was creating a job just for me, saying, I want to hire. I'm creating this position. I want to hire Mark Johnson. That's the kind of thing that the Lord can do for us if we have the right heart and the right attitude, and are willing to yield. Because when I found out I didn't get that job, I went out and I began to praise God and say, Thank you, Jesus. I know you have a better job for me. And I trust you. And in that very hour, there's something that breaks when we totally yield, when we cut that one little string and say, Lord God, I'm trusting you in this situation. But we all have multiple situations. So are we trusting God in all of them? 
Last week's first point was repentance begin when we realize we need to repent. Let's go back to, let's go back to Galatians. And I, I want you to close your eyes for a couple of minutes. And I'm going to read this list of things, and, and I want you to ask the Lord, is there something in my life that's in one of these areas that I need to repent from? And it will probably hit on every single one of us. There's something in this list that I think the Lord could be wanting to work out. So just close your eyes and just ask the Lord. In fact, repeat this prayer. Say, Lord, I ask you to reveal anything in my life that's not pleasing to you. Okay. So let me go through the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Okay, you can open your eyes. Let's, let's park here for a moment. The word says that a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And so I have significant... Concerns about this nation, you see what's going on. And this is not a political message, okay? I don't talk politics. I'm talking kingdom here. But we live in a country that is in great need of a Jesus revival. Okay. So if we need a Jesus revival and we pray for that on a regular basis, who, would, who do you think God would use to bring a Jesus revival? What, what mechanism would he work through? People like us, hopefully, if we're if if we're willing, if it, you know, if he can trust us with his Holy Spirit, if he can trust us to obey and do what he's asked us to do. I want to go to Titus chapter three, and Paul has given direction to Titus. He's a leader in the church, and and Paul is training him up. Listen, as Christians, we should be training up others. We should be discipling others. You have great opportunity. Man, the marketplace ministry is ripe for Christians to go out and minister and lead people to the Lord and be an example. Hey, if we're not out there doing that, what example do they have? And so Paul is writing to Titus, and he says, If people are causing divisions among you, give them a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. What's he talking about? What environment is he talking about? He's talking about in the church. He's saying if someone is causing division, give them a warning, a second warning, and then have nothing further to do with them. He goes on to, to tell Titus, for, uh, for people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. So we talked about this a few months ago. We talked about Honoring one another, we talked about if you walk up on a conversation and somebody is 
chattering about somebody else, you can walk up and say, busted. If you've got a problem with them, go talk to them. Quit talking to this person that has nothing to do with it. You need to go talk to them. And, and so, you know, we, we need to understand that the enemy has come to still kill and destroy. And one of his greatest tax, tactics is to cause division in the church. Have you ever heard about church splits? Because, oh, I don't like the color of the carpet. I didn't like the color of the church. I don't like that song. Well, maybe it's not all about you, honey. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Galatians 5.21. More results of our sinful nature. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties. And other sins like these. I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit today, a little bit more, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, 18 and 19. Paul, again, writing to the early church, he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, he gives you an alternative here, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making melody, making music to the Lord in your hearts. So are we connected with the Lord where there were times when I worked in industry and I'd be praising God. Oh, man, I was getting at it. Nobody heard me, fortunately, because I was just singing in my heart. I was just worshiping. I was praying for my coworkers. We have that opportunity that we can worship him any time of the day. We don't have to do some kind of ritualistic thing because we have this real authentic relationship with him. Let's go back to Galatians. So Paul's talked about abstain from all these things. And in verse 21, he continues, Galatians 5, 21, let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Inherit. This word means to share, to acquire, to obtain, to be an heir of. And I believe that this is a warning. Who, who, again, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. He's saying abstain from these things. And I believe that this is a warning of living a lifestyle of sin. Okay? So the word says that all sin and fallen short of God's glorious standard. All right? And we, we know that... Uh, you know, and I'm not condoning sin, but, you know, sometimes we stumble and fall. And, and sin is, it means to hit the target like a bullseye on a, on a target. And sometimes we miss the target, okay? But there's grace to come back to God and say, listen, Lord, I repent. I ask your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. And I'm moving forward now. And if I need to make restitution or apologize, okay, I'm going to go do that. And then I'm going to press on toward the marker, the goal, or the prize that you have before me. And so what Paul's talking about is a lifestyle of sin. And when we are saved, God begins this transformation in our hearts and lives if we will yield to him. Now, I'm going to say something that, that's, I've said a few strong things the past three weeks, but I'm going to say something else that's strong. If there is no, if someone says, I'm a Christian, and there is no transformation in their life, I wonder if they're truly saved. Because just saying some words, just saying a prayer, 
And that's what we do. We say, Lord God, I ask you to come into my heart and life. But do we mean it? And if there's, if there's no demonstration that we're saved, I don't know. Just something to, to think about. Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, gentleness, goodness. Did I get those out of order? Faithfulness, self-control. That is what the fruit of the Spirit gives us. That should be resident in our lives. There's no law against these things. Let me say them again. Love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And so... To demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, those, things I, those nine things I just talked about, we need to be connected to Him. Because do you ever need some patience? <laughs> Don't look at your spouse right now. I'm talking to you. Do you ever need some patience? Yes. Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified Him there. Think about the cross. The cross was the most painful death, the, the worst thing the Romans could come up with to punish people. Now, what happened on the cross? Death happened on the cross. Are we taking our desires and passions and nailing them to the cross and saying they're dead? They're no longer alive in me. Because when Christ died on the, on the cross, he took on all of that stuff for us. He died on the cross, took on all of our sins, rose on the third day. And he said, I go that I may send the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth. So have we, have we nailed the passions and desires of our sinful nature to the cross? And not pulled them back off, taken them with us, but left them there. Galatians 5.25, since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So are we allowing the Spirit of God to lead us in every part of our lives? Oh, well, I'm, I'm good here, here. No, 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 this is my, this is my, my part here. This is my golden calf. This is, this is for me. Because, you know, you don't understand. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to lead every part of our lives? Let us not become, uh, become conceited. You know people, they're, oh, well, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with those who do. Are we now better than everybody else? Because the ditch and the muck and the mire that God pulled us out of, we're like, oh, no, I'm not touching that. God is calling us to reach in, help them out. Somebody probably helped you out. Somebody risked out and said, hey, I don't really want to touch that, but they need some help. And I was there at one point in time, and Jesus died on the cross for us. And Paul is saying, nail those passions and desires to the cross and leave them there. Jesus already paid for it all. So Paul gives clear contrast of what living in sin is and what 
living by God's Spirit will look like in our lives. So let's compare these two different things. Love, living by the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let's compare that with the sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. So when you think about the fruit of the Spirit and you think about what's reflective when we live in our sinful nature, which of these attributes are most representative of the fruit in your life? Because we all see ourselves in some of these things probably. But what's, what's most reflective in your life? The fruit of the Spirit or the old sinful nature that Jesus nailed to the cross? Be Holy Spirit led. That's the only way we can navigate through these challenges and really survive in the manner and walk in the victory that Jesus called us to walk in is to be led by the Spirit of God. Refuse to allow your sinful nature to destroy your life. No, I'm not going to allow that in my life. No, son, daughter, you can't do that. That's destructive. As long as you live in this house, you're not going to be allowed to do that. How do children learn and how do we learn? Example, example, example. Allow the Lord to continue his transformation in your life. Listen, I don't, I don't know how much time we have. You could get hit by a Mack truck going home from church today. The Lord could come back. You know, I, I don't know. But this is, this is our life. This is our life right here on this earth today and tomorrow and next week. And one day we'll be in glory with, with the Lord. We'll be in heaven. But, you know, we can't go back and change things. Oh, man, oh, I remember that person I used to work with. And the Holy Spirit was convicting me to go and share the gospel with them or go and pray with them. And I didn't do it. When the Lord calls us to do something, there's a purpose and a reason for it. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day recently, and he told about a story. He was at the airport, and he was flying to Vietnam. And there was a lady sitting in, in the uh, airport waiting to get on a flight. And the Holy Spirit told him, go and pray with that lady. Her brother's leg is broken or hurt. And he's like, oh. Lord, I, I don't know. And, and he asked for a sign, and uh, I, I can't remember what it was. Uh, you know, like a, uh, in the, he went to get something to drink at one of the concession stands. And, and anyway, he asked for confirmation, and the Lord gave him confirmation. I think he looked up, and it said now or something, you know. <laughs> so he goes over, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I know it's kind of weird, but can I pray, pray with you, pray for you? I just felt like the Lord wanted me to pray for you. And, and she said, yeah. And he said, do you, do you have a brother? And she said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, does he have a broken leg? And, and she says, yeah, how did you know that? 
well, I, I just felt like the Lord revealed that to me. So uh, he prayed with her. He got on his flight. He came back. He was in the airport. Guess who he sees? The same lady. And she says, you know, my brother's leg is healed. So, you know, God is looking to do things like that. Uh, let me give you another story that I think I've shared with you before. One day I was going into to Walmart, and I, as I pulled in, this couple pulled in, in front of me in a car, and this gentleman got out, and he helped this lady out of the passenger side of the car. And I could tell that she was getting out very gingerly, very gently, and like maybe she had just been to the doctor. Maybe she just gotten out of the hospital, had some surgery or something. There, obviously, there was something going on. <clears throat> so I just kind of prayed for him, and I go into the store, and I walk past the pharmacy area, and I see him there. They're at the pharmacy in one of the aisles looking for something. And I pass by, and, and then I'm coming back, and the Holy Spirit says, pray for him. I'm walking down the aisle. I'm like, Lord, you know, really? So I get down to the main aisle to go to the cashiers, and I do a U-turn. I go back. And I'm like, okay. So I go back, and, and I say, uh, hi, um, my name is Mark, and, and I was wondering, can I, can I pray for you? And the guy looks at the woman, and he's kind of like, and he's like, no, we're fine. And she's like, no, we're all right. I said, okay. All right, well, I'll, I'll pray for you anyway, you know. And so I walk off and I'm going back to my car and I'm like, Lord, really? What was that about? And so this is what the Holy Spirit told me. He said, your responsibility to, is to obey. The outcome is up to me. So you don't worry about the outcome. You just do what I tell you to do. And then, the, and then I started having these thoughts come to me, you know, like the, kind of a, in my mind's eye. What if that little simple act of obedience, they get in the car and, and, and maybe the guy says to the, to the woman, hey, you know, we haven't prayed in a long time. And she says, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe we need to go back to church. Maybe I grew up with... A relationship with the Lord and, and I really got hurt in church but you know I'm, I'm missing something in my life what if that one little act of obedience planted a seed that I will probably never know about but see it's not up to me to know what the results are well I want to know what happened did they get saved did they go to church did she get healed and God's like don't worry about that you just do what I've asked you to do 